to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters, we've been doing this for way too long, talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by... Tony. Comrades and critics who prophesize with your pen and keep your eyes wide, the chance won't come again. And don't speak too soon for the wheel's still in spin. And there's no telling who that it's naming for the loser now will be later to win for the times they are a changing. <laughs> Yeah. A little, little Bob Dylan from the Rock oh, and Roll DM. That's DM. Hot. There it is, baby. <laughs> that was good, man. That was, I think it sounded better than Dylan sang it. I mean, I I'll thank you, but I don't know how much of a compliment that is. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, it's I guess it means it's better than a dying baby goat. I don't. Yeah, know. <laughs> but that is times they are changing, and tonight we're here to talk about some of the things that Watsy has recently announced are changing about D and D Fifth Edition. Uh, I don't think we're going to go so far as to talk about the 5.5 that's coming in a couple years, but we do, are going to take a look at what has Watsy recently announced as far as how they're changing monsters, how they're changing aspects of how the DM can manage these things, and what do we think of those, and also what are the challenges we have as DMs kind of managing our monsters, managing our spells, managing the, our side of the table, and are these helpful or not for what we do and the challenges we see? So that's what we have on today's episode of The Changes to 5th Edition. So guys, I know you checked out some of this stuff. What do you think about what they're talking about doing? Well, I'm going to lead off with say they kind of threw out there with uh, the monsters. Alignment is basically a suggestion. And <laughs> I feel pretty firmly that I do like that. Because, I don't know, I was in a campaign where all the drow weren't evil many, many moons ago. And the <laughs> truth, this isn't really bleeding edge tech. But I'm glad that we've kind of nailed this down and said that all goblins are chaotic evil period yeah tone i'll i'll back that up because and i'll i will hearken back to what uh pdm professor dungeon master said about it too they did it in such a simple way where unless it's a named npc you know strand let's say mm -hmm. it's typically this you know yeah. a bullywog is typically chaotic good or something it's such a one word and it kind of takes everything or they take it to the point of something almost like a class, like a cleric, and they say, any alignment. Because, yeah, any alignment. So they just codified it in a way that I thought, put it out there for stuff that we've talked about that we've been doing for years, decades, forever. Certainly cuts down, certainly cuts down on the whole metagaming discussion of where the PC is like, oh, yeah, I kill him. Well, you guys were letting him go. Oh, but he's chaotic evil anyway. He's just going to come back and kill everybody. Right, right, yeah. Now like we've talked so about sure. And let's be honest, we can't agree on alignment anyway. So really, it should take a backseat gently. Very respectfully put it in the backseat. I mean, seriously, is a lawful good paladin someone who follows justice but slays enemies? Or is this lawful good paladin who's supposed to arrest everybody and bring them to justice before a judge? I mean, depends who you ask. I still stand by what we came to in our in in the alignment episode we did, yeah. which, which which listeners can find further back in our catalog. I think it really depends on how those alignments look from that player's point of view. I am very much an alignment relativist. If the PC <laughs> can explain to me why that is lawful good to that character, and I don't feel like he's just you know bullshitting me, and I got a pretty good bullshit detector. Uh, I'll, I'll usually let it. Yeah, I think that's fine. You know, if if because we could you can define lawful good in multiple ways. We found in that episode. If you don't, if you doubt us. 
just go back and listen. Because boy, do we come up with different ways to talk about what is or is not lawful good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's kind of, I mean, like even in the announcement uh, in the blog post they posted with with the roundtable they did about the future of D&D, they even said in there, like, look, they put alignment on timeout for a little while. Now they're bringing it back as just a role-playing tool, not necessarily something that's very mechanical. And of course, 5e never used alignment in a mechanical way either. It's right. up to you to do some things with it, but it's not you as the DM. But it's not something that that bears a lot of, you know, like, like protection from evil does not protect you from evil. It protects you from certain outer planner beings it doesn't protect you from evil alignment. Which makes a lot more sense. And I actually had to go back when they said the one thing, because I was like, wait a second, because I've looked through my Van Richten's guide, I never realized that they actually just removed the alignment of these creatures as kind of a stopgap. Like, hold on, we're taking a, a reset button here. To be but fair, yeah. it's Ravenloft, they're all evil. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, you know, depends. <laughs> You know, another thing they talked about is apparently they're going to be revisiting a lot of these future. Well, one, they talked about they're going to be releasing four classic campaign settings. But I sounded to me like I heard they're going to do it a little bit in the same way they did Van Richten's Guide, rather than, like, say, big box sets. So what do you think of that, Dave? You're the only one who has Van Richten's. We haven't looked through it out of respect for you as our Ravenloft DM. What do you think of the way they handle that compared to, like, uh, well, you've looked through my 2E box set of Ravenloft. Yeah, I so it's kind of in between. Like, I get it because putting out a whole campaign setting like you have with, like, the Ravenloft box set, the 2E box set, it's it's massive. It's a whole – it's worlds and worlds and worlds of stuff that you can do. But that's a lot. That's a lot to produce. That's a lot to – so throwing out something that allows you to take these things – and this is something that they said in the roundtable as well, that they were listening to people and they liked – People said they liked when you could take something and drop it into a campaign. Not everyone wants to go for, like we're doing with Curse of Strahd, 24 sessions deep into one thing. But to be able to take one Domain of Dread and drop it into your campaign world, the way Candlekeep Mysteries kind of has these things, that seems to be the way they're going with it. And that's something you could do with Van Richten. So I'm guessing that they'll do the same with the ones that are coming up. Mm. Which, personally, I still say is one of them is going to be Dragonlance. I'm just saying it. It's just happening. There you, you go. You mentioned that uh, the upcoming release of, was it, Fizzbang's Guide to Dragons? Which yeah, starts- Treasury of Dragons. Yeah, and he's the yeah. hero of the lance. So, come on. Yeah. Give us the world of Kryn. Give it to us. <laughs> the clerics, there's only one in the whole world. In all the times I played Ravenloft, maybe once we started out there at level one. <laughs> you sure. into it later. I mean, all seriousness, I've played the Ravenloft. Well, the first uh, time it was introduced, I'm pretty sure that was around a level seven or eight mod. Yeah. And that was basically just a mod. Mm. And I think that point that uh, Dave articulated on is spot on. You should use a supplement like that, like if they did an Al Quadim guide, for example. Let that add flavor to a portion of your game. Your guys can dip in, enjoy it as much as they want, and then move on. Otherwise, they're playing in a desert for 24 games. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave's game, there's no good food. Nobody's happy. I mean, it's really a, a miserable place. Like The, the, wine, the wine is good. The wine is good. Those They're things are happy true. when you know when Phineas brings the party bus to town. You kick the you know da, 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 and then then we make everyone happy. You know, that, that's that's we bring the happiness, isn't it? That's my plan. Oh, playing the long game, you know. <laughs> yeah. you, you're playing the long game. That, but yeah, seriously, no, that that's a really solid approach. 
add add a supplement that they could you know, take out as what they want versus, hey, guess what we're doing for the next two years? Now, I will say, as some people have said with Ben Richten's guide, I appreciated it at the same point as I kind of went, eh, I, I don't, and Thorne, you made this point too, I don't want to have to do all the work either, where with a lot of the domains of dread, the dread lords, the dark lords of these domains, like Strahd and Barovia, yeah. they don't stat these these beings out at all. They give you some stats of some cool monsters in the appendix in Van Richten's guide, some really beast ones too, like really, really cool and very, very Raven lofty. But yeah, they don't give you, and I'm hoping that they maybe have heard that and they start to stat some things out because that's also what you want. You want these quick, I can jump in and just grab an adventure or grab some ideas and throw them into my game on Friday night. You know, yeah. As I mentioned, I haven't looked really closely at this uh, at the Raven at the guide to Ravensloft because I'm effectively playing it. So I'm a player, so I'm staying away from that. I do worry. In fourth edition, they released a guide to the Feywild, a guide to the Underdark, and what they did with those is they put no crunch in them whatsoever. It was all just setting, not detail. It was just setting description. Yeah. It was all just the fluff, and to me, like. Fluff and in, in, in description are important, but that's not what I want a setting a setting guide to be. Like I want them to give me all the crunch. I don't want to have to work out any of the crunch on my own. I want them to give me all the mechanics, all the environments, all the here's what you have to watch out for, treasure tables, encounter tables. Like I want them to give me a world that runs that I can then put my adventures in, which is what traditionally like second edition box sets used to do. Like if you got the Dark Sun box set, it had some adventure starters, it had some adventures, but more than that, what you had was a world you could set your own adventures in that had all the stuff you could run. Like, and to me, like that's really what I want out of a setting. I don't want just, well, here's the idea of it and here's us describing it and you fill in the crunch because what the hell am I paying for then? Like I have ideas, (laughs) I have plenty of ideas the whole idea is you do the hard, I'm paying you for you to do the work of statting out a world that world that works so I can then run my ideas in it. And it's almost like they've gone the other way sometimes. And I don't know if that's how you would describe uh, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft or how these future books are going to be. But the idea to me that the role-playing company is going to put out a book that is just, you know, just world description, just, you know, here's who these people are, here's where they live, and then leave all the statting out to you is frankly kind of lazy to me. Well, it's because like, it's it, it's like if you like you, if you got Curse of Strahd, you have Strahd completely statted out entirely. Yeah. I mean, you absolutely have to up him, you know, as we've discussed, but he's completely statted out, and you kind of need that, right? It's it's part of it. It's I you gotta kill him me, in the end. You have to fight Strahd in the end, so you he, need him statted out. Like you were just saying, all the fluff. It would be like if you open the PHB. And you're reading about the fighter and like they give all that cool description in the beginning about the human fighter that's going through the town. And then like they didn't have any of like the how to build them, you know, <laughs> like I need, I need that too, guys. I need that too. And, and also, frankly, that's the stuff that's hard. Like just sitting down and hiring one person to write up what the world's about and do the text is easy. Doing the play testing in the mechanical balancing is the hard part. That's yeah. the part. That's the role the role playing game company is supposed to fill, you know. And if they're not putting that work in or paying people to put that work in, well, why are we paying so much money for the books? You know, that, like, I need that stuff. You need to fill in those blanks. That's your job. If you look at both the the, the Fay Wild supplement for 4E and the Underdark supplement 
the 4E Underdark supplement was much more crunchy like you're describing. Mm. It gave you stats for everything. Torag was the great protagonist in that setting. So you had this character. So he's the god of torture. You're mm-hmm. probably never going to fight him. Guess what? There's his stats. That's where you know the, the absolute ceiling is. This, this They did admit some of the stats of some of his minions, but for, as the majority... It's worse, because those are the people you're going to fight. <laughs> Unless they were in there somewhere else. He, he had a pretty extensive uh, amount of minions, but the point is, I felt like that gave a really solid framework. In the Feywild book, like with different courts and the different characters, as I recall, none of this was statted out. And no. that that was weak. Yeah, I mean, I remember reading that book at Barnes & Noble fully intending to buy it because I was into the Feywild. I think I was sending my, my – I think the party was going into the Feywild. And I'm like, there's nothing in here I can use. Like, this is – this is there's nothing in here I want. Like, I I mean, the ideas are nice, but where's the stats? This doesn't – this it doesn't run itself. I You've given me the plans for a car, and I need to build the car. You know, <laughs> it's like I'm buying the car from you. I'll paint it like I want it. You know, I, I need you to supply the engine and the wheels and the drivetrain and all that stuff that makes it work. And if I got to do that, like, well, you know, that's that's just that's putting a ton of work on the DM. That's one of the things I'm wondering is maybe why they are attempting to do this whole uh, monsters of the multiverse idea, mm. uh, where they have all of these various campaign setting creatures throughout in one monster manual. So it's like the the addendum to your monster manual. Or maybe it replaces your monster manual. I mean, who knows? I don't... I, don't th- I mean, the way they described it was that... Now, it's a little up in the air still, of course, but they described it as this is collecting monsters and classes introduced all over from all the stuff they've done. It's tweaking them, it's bringing them in line with what they now see power-wise where things should be, and it's rewriting them in a new format. Along with 30 with more than 30 player uh, player character races, uh, all of which they said were already printed elsewhere, but it's breaking them together, which is useful. I always like to get some original material, but like at least it's useful to have them centralized. I'm not going to buy every something. I'm not going to go buy right every, every every setting, right? Yeah. To Dave's issue with straw needing to be boosted, I think the solution goes, I would create a casual player version of Strahd, the normal play, like the, you know, the, the median level Strahd and then the hardcore. Your players love to grind. Your players are playing this sessions, uh, multiple sessions a week. Yeah, that's where you have that. I don't know about that 20, that CR 23 Strahd you were talking about, the Vorpal Sword. Maybe not. He sounds a little too intense, but nah. you get the oh, idea. Listen, listen to Hawk Morgan not wanting to deal with the tough Strahd. <laughs> no, but the, but the beauty was well. is that. I at least had. Would you have said that to Roddy Roddy Piper? (laughs) I had the base to work off of, though, right? That was that's what kind of worked for that. I had that base to work off of, and if I wanted to up him, I easily could. If Strahd is in a kilt, when I come across him, I will fight him at any CR. (laughs) No, man. I I mean, Roddy, he was kind of like he was a heel, most definitely, but he was like he was like the way the Punisher is, right? He was like the anti-hero. Not original. The, the, hot rock. By, by, the original Piper before in the end he did his, he did his his like his face turn. But for most of Piper's career, he was the bad guy. He didn't have a whole lot of redeeming qualities. Yeah, he was the villain in the cartoon. You know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> but was, I don't know. He wasn't the same as like, you know, the Iron Sheik and stuff. He was like the char- he was you know what? He was the charismatic 
bad guy, right? And like the he, charisma kind of sold you on him a little bit, right? It also tells you everything you need to know about 80s culture. You know, who were the bad guys? Anyone who wasn't from America. Yeah. In the, the good guy, guy from was the Middle like, East. And I mean, Russia. okay, technically, Andre the Giant also wasn't from America, but you know, you kind of kept that on the down low. They didn't talk about him being from France, right? I mean, that, that was kind of like that was like their that was like his darkest secret when he was a, when he was a face in, in 80s wrestling. You know, that that fits in with the you know typically this type of alignment. You know, it doesn't have to be. <laughs> so we're getting a little little off topic here, but I do want to come back to what you were talking about. One of the things they announced in Monsters of the Multiverse yeah. is that they're also uh, reworking how they present these things. And I believe some of those reworks are presented already in um, the, the Feywild supplement, the wild beyond the witch light, a Feywild adventure. And they mentioned, I mean, I haven't picked this up yet, but they, it has been mentioned that apparently almost every encounter can be solved without combat. Non-violently supposedly. Yeah. Which does sound neat. Cause you know, as, as we know, for our storm King's thunder, we solved as much as we could without combat just to drive DM Tony nuts. But I will say, running Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, I can see that they definitely made uh, definite decisions to have encounters that have a nonviolent outcome, mm. that have an ability to, and kind of sets it up that way. Uh, it doesn't mean you can't, you know, depending on your party, but they definitely kind of give you the the tools to say, this is how you could have them maybe use some diplomacy, because not everyone's been DMing for 47 years like Tony, right? Where he know, <laughs> where right? Where he can roll with a party like us, where we decide to bribe these guys to get out or to talk to Duke Zalto, the fire giant lord, right? Not everyone's going to be able to go on the fly like that. So setting it up and giving you the tools, I think, is a is a great design uh, technique in that well, way. First of all, give yourself a DNA inspiration for remembering Duke Salto's name from my campaign. Hell yeah, the, dude. The fire giant. Because uh, I remember because he would have killed, we would have died. We, If we decided to go violent in that encounter, we'd be dead. There was only like 14 yeah. fire giants in there right. and him. And yeah, because every other time. We, different. We, we did go violent in that encounter. We fought his giant animated sure, Iron yeah. Golem. Yeah, we did the whole fight club for his pleasure, right? But not like... No, 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 no. We broke his favorite toy that he thought was going to destroy us. And after that, he yeah, ran away. Yeah, I mean, but it wasn't the same. It's not like when we went all SEAL Team 6 on the Hill Giant stronghold, you know? <laughs> like, we would have died. Like, we had no upper hand in the fire oh, giant stronghold. One detail anyway. about when I saw what was going down, we were going to have dinner with him. I made a point of sitting Zhang within, <laughs> within range to be able to attack that guy. So I was like, all right, I can get to him. If this pops off, I'm, I'm ready to get taxed and I'm going to, I'm going to at least frighten him. We'll see where things go. <laughs> that was my plan. But okay. Okay. Back to, back to uh, what they're doing with, with, with uh, monsters of the multiverse. So they're changing the, how they present, the monster stat block as far as like what they emphasize where things are how they put it together and they're changing how they do certain monsters you know we, we uh there were some of the things they mentioned was that you know uh, there'd be fewer humanoids so more things that don't need to have the humanoid tag probably wouldn't which of course impacts spells that are a cold person and 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 dominate person and things like that uh, they mentioned that for spellcasters, they are tweaking how they present it so instead of presenting them with x spell slots and just giving you what their spells are like you would with a PC. They're now presenting you with, okay, they can cast these spells at will, each of these spells once per day. And then they're also adding a magical attack to their actions. That is, in the example of the War Priest they gave, essentially the War Priest now has 
that holy fire thing. Yeah. So the war priest now has a maul he attacks with and a holy fire attack. And to put this in perspective, this human war priest, which is theoretically a race in class any player could be, is a CR9 quote-unquote monster, who has a multi-attack where he can make two maul attacks and then use a holy fire, which appears to be a spell that does save or take 2d8 plus 3 radiant damage and be blinded until the start of his next turn. So in essence, it's kind of like a sacred flame is what they're giving him. Does sacred flame blind you? It doesn't blind you, but it does about that damage. So they're giving a little buff because he's a war priest, right? So there's some things I like about this, some things I don't like about this. One... I have to admit, and we've talked about this before, picking up and playing a spellcaster as the DM is hard. Especially yeah. if you didn't do a ton of prep to know what the spellcaster spells are. Like, if you're just like, hey, I need a random encounter, drop an archmage in, you now have to go find out what 20 spells do, or whatever. I know it's enough spells to be problematic because I've done it before. Yeah. You know, it's so, and so mauling through that was, is difficult. And it is something that's tricky because you need to know what every spell does in order to play a spellcaster effectively. And this does make it easier to play them because you can just say, okay, I can do each of these things once. You're still going to need to know what they do. But they're not bad. Like the War Priest has Banishment, Command, Dispel Magic, Flame Strike, Guardians of Faith, Hold Person, Lesser Restoration, and Revivify. He also has a bonus action where he can cast Healing Light, which recharges on four to six, and a creature of his choice as a bonus action within 60 feet regains 2d8 plus three hit points. So this is all parsed out really well. You know, as a DMU, I think you can run this more effectively. However, it's also very far from how having a PC War Priest play would be. So I'm kind of like a two minds on this. On the one hand, like this seems handy. On the other hand, well, you can't counter, you can't counterspell his Holy Fire. So he doesn't really play like the PCs anymore. And from like, for me, I like a world where, you know, a human War Priest is the same, whether it's a player character or an NPC. They're both human War Priests. And the PCs should be playing the same way the NPCs are, should be fair and even, and they're in the same world. They're using the same rules. And with this, now we're not using the same rules, which for me removes the players one more step from the world they're supposed to be interacting in as part of it. So, you know, kind of a mixed feelings about this. What do you guys think? Well, I uh, use multiple creature types a lot in my encounters. And I have to tell you, I'm for anything that streamlines my combat. I mean, I wrote about this uh, this week. And even if you're looking at monsters using the app, that's why I'm such a big fan of Google Docs, where I can just drop my stat blocks right in there. And that's why I like the about that on the website that's already posted. Woohoo! But you can the streamlining of those stat blocks is always welcome because even if you're using like an app to like look up monsters, because you're not gonna have five books in your lap during a game, you're just not. <laughs> or you can give it a shot. Uh, and like, to be fair, report. I do, and you guys can both attest to it. But <laughs> you got a big lap, dude. <laughs> but the point is, the players are constantly ducking and weaving in between attacking dexterity, wisdom, and dexterity. So, you know, you're constantly looking back. What's the saving throw on this creature? Let me turn the page. Let me close the app. Let me look this back up. If I'm in roll 20, I've got it dropped in there. Let me change monsters. Let me look at a saving throw so I can have it do its saving throw. That's welcome. Like, that. That's, that is that is some helpful stuff. Anything that's going to move it along in a more streamlined, smooth fashion in combat. Yeah, I actually, I, I like it. I was waiting to see when I heard that they were starting to adjust some of the, the spell casting ability. Uh, I was interested because I wanted to see, because we've talked about this uh, specifically about the Strahd campaign. One, when you guys face the Mummy Lord, and two, when I'm, I'm preparing Strahd. Now, obviously, a character like that, you're doing your homework. You're building it out. But even with that, I have an entire sheet 
of in essence the spell book you know for notes for me so i can i know how to run it when i'm in the middle of it because there's a lot there for something like that you do the homework that's fine but this i like several things about this one i like that they put what the proficiency bonus for these creatures are i, I actually, actually yeah that i actually like great. that it was such an oversight before because there are times where i've been looking at monsters and going Wait, wait, wait. If I wanted them to have an additional saving throw, what the hell is their proficiency bonus? I have to like back out the math, you know? Yeah, and um, the same the same with uh like you do a lot of things where you're basically doing athletics checks with Hulk. Exactly. And if you're and if you know if your monster if it's not listed there, how do you add a proficiency bonus to it if you want them to be able to wrestle? Yeah, and if I want them to to know what would their proficiency bonus be at CR nine, CR twelve, CR three, whatever. Um the other thing I like is they broke it out into actions, bonus actions, and reactions. Because I'll tell you what, I've gotten caught on this multiple times in the heat of battle, where they have another ability that's supposed to be able to go off with their multi-attack. But it doesn't clearly state that. And you don't want to give them 14 attacks if that's not what they have. So I like that you have the War Priest make two maul attacks and it uses Holy Fire. You know exactly how much he can do every single round or you can do your spell casting well they they do that in the current setting what's different here because you do have they do right now have multi-attack make two of these and one of those but what's different now is you have the bonus action healing light because what would happen normally is with the war priest you would okay i you know you'd probably be pretty used to doing the multi-attack the mall the holy fire oh he casts spells oh but do you catch that healing light's only a bonus action they can still do after his Uh multi-attack that's where this is really nice and i do like that a lot that is a clearer way to show that what i like about it is i could easily take new war priest guy or girl and I could switch out any of this stuff I wanted to. I could change their entire spell list if I so wanted to. I could do some homework or I could open up a book, have the stat block there because it just got triggered and boom, we, are, we can run it. And it's much more intuitive, I think. Uh, so I like that. Actually, to your point, Thorin, I don't agree fully. I understand where you're going with it. But the idea of the war priest, you know, having his multi-attack and holy fire I mean, how many creatures do we have at certain levels that have three attacks, you know, four attacks? And no one has that, really, unless they're maybe cast in haste and things of that nature. So the the monsters and the creatures, if they're going to challenge parties, will at times have things that maybe aren't completely available right at the time to the party member. Well, uh, so I think that there's some fairness to that in the sense of you're having to create a challenge for the players with, you know, similar types of creatures like War Priest, let's say. So that's a game design philosophy choice. And what one of the things that's spot in here that I, I I don't love is they have taken the philosophy the philosophical choice that okay, anyone played by the DM is a monster. Which hmm. means the monsters work by one set of rules and the PCs work by a different set of rules and the DM stuff is no longer doesn't fit the PC rules. They're totally different. So you can never just kind of say, okay, like here's a, here's an NPC priest. You can, if you want to, you can build an NPC priest just like you would a PC, but it's not going to work like the rest of your monsters because now your monsters are a totally different thing, which includes NPC priest. I don't like that philosophy necessarily. Now it's one thing if you have actual monsters where okay, your dragon's got like two claws and a bite, because dragons have two claws and a and, and, and a maw. You know, yeah. that's what they do. It's another thing for me when you're taking PC classes where theoretically the PC could be in this role. 
but the NPC version works totally different. Because to me, like, I want to create a world where the PCs are an organic part of it. They operate by the same rules everyone else does, at least everyone else who's like them. And that's part of my game philosophy. The world should be, the world should work. It actually goes back to what I was just saying about what I want out of a campaign box set or campaign setting. That should work. It should make sense for everyone. Everything should work within it. And so from my point of view, I want a PC, an NPC in a PC's role to work like a PC would work in that role. And if it needs to be tougher, make it higher level. You know, that to me is what I want to do. That doesn't help with complexity, but philosophically, I want the world to work that way. WotC has now, they're doubling down on the idea that, well, all DM, all DM characters are monsters. They're all going to work by different monster rules, and that is not the same rules as the PCs, which now separates these roles and kind of the world even more. You know, it's the difference between the world working organically and the world working by kind of just DM fiat of these work this way and those work that way. I'd rather the world work, work more organically. Well, one thing that I do appreciate about that is the because it's more simplified, then you're not digging through, like you said, all those the spell sheets. And it kind of changes its outlook, not necessarily lessening their power, but a creature can have magic. They also kind of put together like the, the natural spellcasters and the learned spellcasters in this respect, where their spell their ability to use magic isn't the core of their powers. Like, in some cases, it will be. Like, if we're talking about a lich, but you have creatures with magical abilities, and like, well, oh my god, he's also an 11th level wizard. You know, hit the deck. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think I can still... I can, I can, we, we talked about this with the dragons episode. Like, can a dragon cast spells? Can it learn to be a wizard? I kind of liked when it could, although... Yeah, they do. They do have more uh, more interesting natural powers than PCs would have, in addition to learning how to be a spellcaster. Yeah, you lose me at a, a dragon can't lose magic. Like that, that. I don't understand the words coming out of your mouth. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree on that one. At least, uh, at least, you know, if they're old enough and have spent some time learning this stuff, absolutely. Like but seriously, a wizard, a wizard should get trapped in a cave, yeah. and the dragon should be like, yeah, okay, son, you don't know magic, shush. <laughs> But so that's the thing, though, because you know, then you're agreeing with me to an extent there, saying you want the you want the rules of the world to work for everyone, DM, you know, DM character and and PC character. And I feel feel like this is a little bit Watsy taking the other design design decision of we don't want to deal with that, so we're gonna take it. We're gonna we're just not gonna worry about that. We're gonna make all the NPCs are gonna work differently, like monsters, and the PCs work differently, like PCs. And even where they have the same ability, it's going to work differently because now the world's no longer, they're no longer operating really in the same world. They're operating in the world of these are your PCs and those, everything else is, well, frankly, part of your background and setting. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm looking at this strictly from an efficiency standpoint, especially mm -hmm. when you're juggling, again, multiple monster types. Otherwise, you've got a stat block that's super long that's where and, i've yeah i've done same exact tone i look at these things and i go i can run this just easier if mm -hmm. i just crack the book i can run it easier yeah which is i think one of their goals and i think to make that easier yeah they've basically made this choice of okay we're just going to make all the dm stuff work the same you know differently from the way the pc stuff works uh i just i, I prefer the world to work the same way for everyone now one thing that I will say too, Thor, and I think it kind of, I, I understand where you're going with it with, with certain things that are like, in essence, class leveled NPCs. Well, this, Warpriest, yeah, right? Yeah, the Warpriest exactly. is theoretically that, because you could literally but, have a Warpriest PC. Like it's, this, it's it could literally work through an NPC with, cla with class levels. No, yeah, I get that. Well, I think one of, one of the things that I think this is also 
addressing uh, because we look at this thing and it says the war priest makes two mall attacks. By the way, the mall attacks also have radiant damage coming through them. Yeah. Um, both of them. So, you know, he's whopping out 46 plus three damage every round. I'm sure my impression that. is that there's no PC that could equal what this war priest can do. Right, right. So Certainly not at ninth level. This guy's baller. So, uh, and he also mm. drops holy fire on you that you, if you save, you still are taking the damage. You're just not blind for the next round. So, you know, <laughs> I hope, I hope, good luck. Well, um, but what I will say real quick, what I'm getting at here is we're looking at CR9. Mm. I bet you I put this guy, CR9, in a similar situation to some of my CR9 guys that I've dealt with in Strahd, and he's going to play a lot more the way I'm thinking a CR9 should play because he's going to be a lot more deadly now. You Which know? is something else they said was part of their goal. was that, And we've all talked about these CRX creatures that seem to get wiped out in like the blink of an eye. One of their goals with this is also to make a CR9 you know, monster play more like a CR9 is supposed to play. They are trying to ba- – that is another thing they said. They wanted to balance that out better. So tough – you know, monsters are as tough as their CR rating says they should be, and that is also welcome. Although i got to say, I don't know that a PC could ever do this stuff. Like, <laughs> you can't have you can't have your War Priest PC fight this guy and be like, oh, wow, I can't wait till one day I can do that. Because you'll never be able to do it. <laughs> you know, it is not stuff PC can get to. Now, to that point, I have to agree with Thorne. That would be lame. You're too, you're too, you know, I mean, you wouldn't be a level nine against the CR War, uh, War Priest because that's not a fair matchup. No, he's probably but, more like, like level 15 or so. I haven't done the math on it. But yeah, he's clearly, that's a higher level character than a yeah. level nine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, I gotta say, if I was a level 14 priest and this CR9 monster was busting out these moves, I'd be like side eyeing this character. I'd be like, what is this DM bullshit? That is my point. That is exactly my point. Cause you will. Cause I don't, I'd have to double check. I did not double check the war priest, like the war, like how a war priest progresses coming in here. I don't think the war priest at level 15 or even level 20 can do all the stuff the CR9 is doing. I mean, a CR9 is hefty. That's a fire giant. Strife that's away. true i mean he's a big ba- he's a big bad dude so i mean what is the level equivalent 15 or so maybe i don't i can't imagine a level 15 priest being able to bust out every turn <laughs> two mall attacks with the extra radiant with the raised radiant with the yeah. uh, uh, one one out of every three turns a healing word don't come at my war priest this is yeah. a cr9 <laughs> that i can get behind it's like the it's like the classic video game trope of you know the bad guy when you fight him versus the bad guy when he joins your party like Logan and Dragonlands you know he's so much better when you got to beat him now he joins your party he's like hey he's kind of lame. <laughs> I think that uh, I feel like Strahd has a couple war priests in the chapel just hanging out man. Oh like, shit. That's <laughs> all right. That's all right. I'll, I'll dominate one. I'll dominate one. Also, I'll turn this on Strahd. I'll also put the vampire template on him though just because. There you go. Uh, yeah. Really. <laughs> <laughs> is there a vampire template? I thought there was. I thought it worked the other way. I thought you made vampires and put templates. Yeah, in essence, it's uh, you you go the other way with it. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I've done that. I've played with the vampire fighter, the vampire knight, and the vampire uh, wizard before. Yeah, yeah. All in the same battle. Yeah, that was that was a fun fight. So, I mean, so what do you think? I mean, do you do you like this new layout? I I do think it achieves the the two things they were talking about. Like if their goal was to make it more manageable and make it tougher for its CR level, you know, this guy might take out the CR 14 dragon. You guys just took out. Oh, yeah. Right. I know. I, 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 on first glance. Yes. 
I, I kind of am really behind it. One of the problems that 4 had versus 5E is when you had templates like this, there the 4E monsters and NPCs had preposterous hit points. And that's not so much the problem. Like that was really, again, I made this joke many, many sessions ago. There's nothing quite like being a third-level character running across an 85-hit-point god. But we've seen the problem. I mean, when the when the CR fourteen dragon comes down with like hundred and ninety hit points and the party bleeds those away in two rounds, well what do you do to make that last a little longer? Four E decided you throw a bunch of hit points on it. Five E's kind of been like, Hey, we'll make them tougher, throw some more monsters in there, you'll figure it out. Yeah, like there's give them a, a nice armor class. Well, yeah. here's my answer to that. There's gotta be a balance in their abilities. One of the things 4E struggled with is like they throw a monster like it's a big blob of hit points. Does it have any really threatening attacks? Uh, not right. really. It's a air quotes brute. What the F does that mean? Well, it's got shit armor class and a lot of hit points. I'm like, that's not what I want to drag it to do. It, what else it, you got? It hits pretty hard, but not super hard, and it's not that interesting. So you wind up in a slugfest, which is just the players taking a negligible amount of damage, and this thing soaking hit points until it dies. Yeah, or you get it's like a soldier, higher defenses, uh, kind of crappy attacks. Red dragons were air quotes soldier categories in 4E, mm. as I recall at least. And I remember looking at these attacks, I'm like a red dragon should have high hit points. Not preposterous hit points, not like, you know, Thor came to Earth hit points. What should happen? <laughs> High armor class and formidable attack sequences. When yeah. a red dragon attacks, it's got to, everything is got to really like, oh, all it's doing is claw, claw, bite. If someone gets all three of those in a round, they should be a bleeding mess if they're even alive. You know what I miss that they don't work in the dragons these days? And maybe we just house ruled this. This might not have been in the rules. I miss the old, the dragon grabs you with a bite and breath weapons while you're in its mouth. <laughs> that was a maybe dragon like, magazine stunt, I believe. Maybe, you know, maybe <laughs> add that to your dragons. If the dragon CR, if the dragon crits with its, with its bite, it also breath weapons. You know, it doesn't deal double bite damage. It just, but it breath weapons the guy while biting him. And anyone else in that line as well? Why not? Why yeah, not? Yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, you, you could argue that he's a plug and he basically makes it not work. That maybe he just takes max damage from the breath weapon. Oh my uh, god. Oh, I, think that's God. How, I think that's how the trick used to work in second edition was the dragon could grab you with it with its bite and then breath weapon. And then you had no save and took max damage or something like that. That's intense, dude. That's, that's intense. how the original Morgan died. The drought. <laughs> blown. And I think it was like an, an amethyst or an emerald dragon had a sonic breath weapon and blew him to molecules. I thought it was I thought it was the blue with the lightning, but yeah, I remember he was blown to molecules and then stomped into the ground to make sure he could never be resurrected. Poured water oh. on him, made him a slurry, you know. <laughs> the way you oh yeah, kill no, Wolverine. no, that was uh, he, he was he was killed with uh, with with great prejudice. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so. Yeah, one of the questions this brings up, though, and actually it drove me nuts, because at the D&D Celebration panel where they had this discussion on the future of D&D, and it is, you can go watch it, it's the D&D Celebration just passed, the video's available on demand, and you can watch it on the future of D&D, it's got Chris Perkins, Jeremy Crawford, uh, Liz Hsu, uh, I forget the other two folks on it, but the moderator never asked certain questions I wanted them to ask, so like Jeremy Crawford mm -hmm. mentions, they're making these changes based on all the feedback people give them in the surveys, great. And when I wanted the moderator ask, and for the record, I've been a moderator a lot, so I, this comes from a point of view of experience, is 
what were those things that you learned that you were trying to fix? Like specifically, like what were your top three priorities from the surveys that you wanted to address? And they kind of didn't get into that. So, I mean, for you guys, when it comes to operating monsters and kind of managing, like managing your, your, your whole slate of things in the behind the screen, what is the toughest thing for you? And do you feel like these changes are helping to address it? Well, along the lines we're talking about on how these monsters uh, grow in increments and in power. So when dragons came out in first edition, honestly, they were kind of weak. They were underpowered. They were mm. lame. They were lame and basic. They were not earth shattering. A dragon, I keep using this example because it's the most popular. They should be an earth shattering creature. So when the monsters compendium came out in second edition, they laid it out. Now these dragons had low armor classes. Hey, they weren't positive yet. That wouldn't come until thir third edition. They low, had, being, low being hard to hit. Right. Being <laughs> hard let's, to let's hit. specify. And their breath weapons were finally what they should have been, lethal. You wouldn't be like getting breathed on by a red dragon. And it's like, ah, I'm getting a tan. Let me turn around. It's like a warm, a zephyr, a warm summer breeze. No, you, you, had, you had dragons. Busting out like 24D10 breath weapons. I mean, it was really some preposterous stuff. I mean, the, you know, H category 12s. And they had the H categories. What an insane concept. Can I have those back? I know I mentioned that already, but I'm a little, you well, know. Well, they have them. They have H categories, but there's just there's only four of them. Yeah, yeah. But and yet again, who knows what we'll see in Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons. That's true. Uh, although, to be honest with you, given what we've seen from Watsi so far, I think they're going to stick to four. I don't think they're going to overcomplicate. I'll, ta I'll take two it. more. You don't need 12 anymore. I'll take I'll take six. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't 12. No, they had nine. It wasn't, didn't second edition have nine? No, because the biggest one was an age category 12. Like, mm. that was the beast. That was like this dragon was alive when the Earth was young. <laughs> I gotta tell you, that worked. Because you, you basically had it in, for those who didn't play second edition, the second edition dragons, you had a write-up for the dragon type, which usually was a two-page write-up, but then you had a table which showed you the stats of the dragon, which was everything from body size and tail size to its armor class to its hit points to how much damage it attacks, its attacks did to its, to its well, then Thacko, today be attack bonus, and how big its breath weapon was. But it was all, all that stuff was in one table. You just had to know what age category you were looking at. The dragon didn't really change. You just, it just did more, it just had better numbers behind the things it could do. That to me was a more efficient way to present this stuff than the, than having each one having its own separate write-up. I don't know why they don't go back to that. Perhaps they feel like, again, you know, design philosophy-wise, I mean, I would make different decisions from Watsi. This is, is, is true. But yeah, that's how they used to do it. And that, I don't know, that was easy to work with. Oh, I'm on age category nine, right there. Those are the numbers. Well, I mean, is, it, is that that much different than having Wormling, Young adult, ancient, that To me, it has been, because they each yeah. have different powers to a certain extent. And then you also... So, I mean, yes, yeah, so they're talking about things that are difficult to manage. So talk about, like, a dragon or any legendary monster. You have its basic stats in the write-up. Then you have yeah. its legendary actions in the write-up when it gets them, which in the dragon's case, they don't get them to a certain point. Then you have lair actions, which aren't in the stat block. They're in the write-up. Yeah. And you got to go usually to a different page to see that because these things are usually pretty big write-ups. So to me, centralizing your basic information in one, in that one table, I just have to look along and you use use the color coding so I can tell which bar is which, is easier than having to make sure I'm looking at the right stat block, especially if I then have to go look at another page to get the layer information. Okay, I see what you're saying. So it's kind of like almost like an XY kind of table. You just like yeah. kind of move across and there it is. 
from an organizational point of view, I did prefer the way second edition, especially the first printing of second edition did things. You had section titles at the top of every page. You always knew which section you were in. They just did a good job of organizing it so you could find stuff. And that kind of goes across the whole edition. Like fifth edition is very bad about telling you where you are in the book. Like if you don't start on the page where the chapter starts, you don't know where you are. That'd be interesting to see. It's an interesting question. Maybe I'm wondering if this new type of stat block is going to be translated onto the dragons in this new uh, supplement that they're going to release and how that might play differently. You know, maybe if the if some of the later actions are actually included as part of the um, like actions, bonus actions, reactions kind of thing. It'd be interesting. Or at least just on the same page. They haven't shown us anything with our actions yet, so we don't know if they do it that way. I'm curious, yeah. though. Because yeah. I will say, like, I want all my crunchy stuff in one block that is easy to parse at a glance. Because I am moving between different books, and i got to be able to glance at that page and know what I'm looking for. Yeah. You know, so we talk about what has been the problem and they're dealing with that, which is great. You know, I do like that they're recognizing that's an issue and they're trying to fix it. Even if I don't love that they're making, you know, your war priest NPC is going to do shit that your war priest PC will never be able to do. <laughs> you're going to be able to sit there and DM like, <laughs> yeah, you're bad and all, but here's, here's my war priest. And he just, you just, you're never going to be this cool. He just, you know, he, uh, he goes on a different God. That's all. Does he? What if he's the same? <laughs> I don't God? Know. He yeah, he plays his DM. Oh. <laughs> i don't know so dave what is so so tony and i talked about a little bit what is what is hardest for you when you're trying to manage your monsters in the background and like what what do you think they could do to fix it and does this address it uh no like i was saying earlier that's where i'm really kind of i i'm a little just at first glance here i haven't played with it with this new stat block which is not that it's not crazily new but it's i like the layout better mm-hmm. uh because i will say i have gotten caught with Obviously, spellcasters, that's a whole separate thing. I do actually think this approaches it in a way that's a little more manageable, unless it's your named NPC that you're doing your homework on. But in terms of what they can do every single round and putting it in a way that makes it not, uh, it's not, before, you weren't necessarily sure. It wasn't spelled out exactly what they could do or if it was an either or thing, because some monsters, it would be, well, they could do two of this or they could do one of that, or they could do three of this, or they could do two of this and one of that. Right. And that was okay, but not every creature had that. So you would have certain things like a corrupting gaze or a cone of cold or something like that, that you didn't necessarily know. Does that go off aside from it recharging? Does that go off every single round along with the three attacks? Or is that something like a spell that takes over? Where here they say the war priest makes two attacks and uses holy fire. So you know you can use that or you can use a spell. Mm-hmm. And then you can still do your bonus action. Boom, boom, boom. No big deal. So I think just the layout of it is a little bit more intuitive in that way. Because I definitely have gotten caught with that when I'm running a monster. Because sometimes you guys pop off a monster, and I haven't studied every single one down to the nitty gritty and looked at. I look a little bit before the game, so I kind of know what they can do. But as we've said, you miss stuff. So I think this lays it out in a way that maybe you don't miss it as much. What about you, Tony? Any other any other real challenges you have running the creatures that you think this is dealing with or not dealing with? Well, again, because it's going to be uh, if it's easier to find, I think that's better for everybody's experience. Honestly, there's nothing that really disrupts the flow. I mean, for God's sakes, like back in 4E, I was rating my monster stat blocks on index cards rather than me flipping through sheets. Or that I'd be printing <laughs> out, like honest to God, I'd be printing out like 15 pages of stuff every <laughs> yeah. game 
it was preposterous. Yeah. yeah. I you, know what I was thinking, you know what I was thinking about today as I was reading through all this? I'm like, you know what I really do kind of wish we went back to? The Monsters Compendium. You've for those said that who do, before, yeah. For those who yeah. do not remember, the Monsters Compendium was you bought the first one, and it was a big three-ring D-ring binder. And it wasn't full. Like, it had a bunch of monsters. It had a lot of monsters in it, like 200 or something. But it was only, like, a third of the way or a quarter of the way full. And then it maybe a half. But then additional Monsters Compendiums were just a collection of sheets that you then slid into your Monsters Compendium. So, like, Monsters Compendium 2 didn't come with the binder. Or maybe maybe that one did. But, like, you would get supplements. You would just drop into your to your binder wherever you wanted to. You could put them in the back, say, because they, they're coming from that supplement. You could put them in, in alphabetical order. And then when you made your adventure... You could just pull out the sheets you wanted to use. Mm. And the deeper I get in the fifth edition, the more I feel like eh, that was kind of a good way to do things, <laughs> especially as the monster stat blocks are more complicated than they used to be in second edition. Oh, second edition, I could run a combat with seven creatures, no problem. Yeah. I mean, seriously, I mean, oh, it's got fifth level wizard spells, no problem. It's attacking, what's its thaco? No problem, you know? I mean, it's the abilities. I mean, that's fourth and fifth edition have become much more ability focused, which is good. I mean, fifth, with fifth edition, it's great. You know, it's, it works well. It's a good game. But that is the downside of now. OK, when you're running monsters, you've got to run a bunch of monsters with abilities that you're managing rather than just kind of knowing their essential stats. Because you could have in second edition, you could have a monster that literally just had a line of stats underneath it. And that's all you needed to know. You know, you mm. could basically do monster name, hit points, write down like what it's like, Thaco, damage. And that was it. <laughs> you could go with that monster was ready to go, you yeah. know, um, maybe saving throws, but actually had saving throws on the table, like on your DM screen. So you just look at what level the right. monster was. And yeah. give a saving throw. Cause I think all monsters, didn't they use cleric saving throws or something like that? No, everything. Well, depending upon your edition, but I mean, really that was all dependent upon hit dice. It was really, yeah. it was, it was pretty convenient but, in that respect, but later uh, they put in, like your monsters have auras and they're recharging. I mean, that's an interesting point. Do you guys think that that was, was it more because it was just a more streamlined system or do you think it's because you were so much more familiar with it and had, and gamed it for so much longer at a time when you were gaming two, three, four times a week, maybe. It's a more So you just started to get it, you know? No, I mean, I understand what you're saying. Uh, yeah. We actually played a second edition game not that long ago after mm -hmm. playing fourth and, and, and after fifth came out. And it was remarkable how lightly the second edition rule set and monster set sat on top of whatever you wanted to do. Yeah. It was a more flexible system for running whatever you wanted to run. Having said that, like, there's something to be said for kind of these monsters each have interesting powers. So, like, it's a trade-off. You get more specific powers and more interesting powers and things that are more intricate, a little more magic-like or minis game-like, uh -huh. at the at the trade-off of, well, you don't just have something you can kind of just look at real quickly and know exactly what's going on. We we played Magic recently. So so me and Tony are our old Magic players. Magic over time has gotten more complex, but with Magic you always have to read every card. There's a there, there's a there's a famous uh, abbreviation in Magic, RTFC. Read the fucking cards. What you say to your opponent, they don't know what's going on. <laughs> and you'll get that from judges. Like it's and Watsi is the company that made Magic, and those roots do run through the Watsi editions. Like the idea that, okay, you're going to have an ability you need to understand. And it's much simpler in D&D. &D. They're not doing overkill with it. 
but it's still things work around that idea. The foundation is there, though. Yeah, the foundation is you have a monster with abilities that you need to read and understand to use them. Okay. Second edition was much more, well, all the monsters work off of this saving throw chart. They mostly do this. If they have a special ability, well, that one monster has a special ability. Like, huh. But otherwise, they kind of use the same rules. They cast, you know, if they cast spells, you use the same spells you use as a PC. It does make it more important for the DM to have played as a PC because you're going to know those spells and stuff better. Yeah. If you've done them before, so but you're working off the same world. I, I guess, yeah. I talked earlier about how I like it when they follow the same rules. They follow the same rules a lot more, okay. which to me is something I want out of the world because that also means the DM and the PCs are playing the same game. The more further D and D gets down the road of well, the DM's game is different from the PC game, the more you're not playing the same game, which isn't really what I want out of a role playing game. I'd rather the DM is running the world and the PCs are in the world, but they're all working with the same rule set and the same concepts and the same. I understand, yeah. I understand what you're saying. With that, I want to play the same game. I just want to play the the, the big side of it. <laughs> as, as much as I feel like we're doing a love song for sec two e, I've never sat at a table, at least that I can recall, that didn't have its own set of house rules because it was certainly true. an imperfect science. Well, that's true. We've said this before too. Second edition, for as lightly as it's out on top of things, there are certain house rules almost every table implemented independently because there were problems with it. So it, was not, it wasn't a perfect system. For example, like almost every table throughout the racial level limits, almost every table wound up letting other classes get multiple attacks per round, even though it was only supposed to be for specialized fighters. Especially like there were certain rules everyone kind of applied to it. They came to on their own, just on their own as mm -hmm. they played it, which is a sign of a system that had some issues. It, does, it did have issues. 5e is more carefully balanced. You don't have as much house rolling in 5e. I, don't, I haven't seen that many tables I had to house roll because they're just like, well, that's stupid. Let's do it a different way. And <laughs> as we've covered before, too, and I'm always reminded of it when I hear other people talk about it as well, most of the house rules are already in the system by all the optional rules in the DMG. That is true. There's a yeah. lot of them there. Yeah, so absolutely. a lot of things that people think aren't in 5e, they're there. You just got to go to like page 200 plus in your DMG, and they're probably there in some so, way. So, so, so to get back to that issue of, okay, so why are we talking so much about 2e? I think part of the reason is none of us were big 3e players. So there's good stuff I've heard in 3e. I know there's, there's people who did play a lot of 3e. I know there's things they wish were from 3e were in 4, 5e as well. But I think when you ask me what does, like, what do I want the future of 5e to look like? What do I not like what it does and how would I adjust it? A lot of those things do go back to 2e because two, because 5e, well, the Watsi editions in general, 4e, 5e have added a lot of complexity to the game. And in some cases, some of that could be dropped back to make the game easier to run. You know, like if all the monsters worked off of the same saving throw block, you don't need to have saving throws for every monster. Doesn't work perfectly, but things like that were kind of nice. You could just, you just knew, okay, I just went over here and, okay, what's the saving throw? There's the saving throw. He failed it. Moving on. You know, things like that made it easier to not have to go to every individual monster right up to find every little detail. You know, if someone casts Fireball, you didn't have to check every monster separately to see if they can save against it. So, yeah, that's, I think that's probably why we go back there, because that was a very different kind of D&D &D with different design, design choices that had some pros and cons. And in some cases, some of those pros could be applied to 5th edition to make the game easier to run. Mm. All right. Well, we've been going on for a little while, so how about we get to some final thoughts here? And what's one thing you wish 5th edition would change or do to make your life easier as a DM? Well, I think they're taking a shot at that by simplifying the stat blocks, because mm. you have too many different creatures with too many diverse abilities. And on the surface, that's fantastic. You want creatures to have interesting abilities, otherwise stuff gets old hat. 
But when you're running a combat and you have multiple creatures of multiple creature types with all these different abilities and they get into reactions and they've got auras and they get things that recharge, you're going to screw shit up or do something wrong or forget about it. And it's just it's just a mess. It just slogs the combat. I do appreciate that they're taking a more laissez-faire look at alignment. I'd say it's about time. I mean, honestly, let's just relax on that. We All three of us can't even agree on how lawful good should behave, for God's sakes. It's, it's an <laughs> impossible question. It's like the sound of one hand clapping. So I'm glad they're standing with that. And if they're going to change anything, perhaps maybe sharpening up some of those monsters that feel a little underpowered. Which sounds like they're doing, too. So you feel like, I mean, most of what they're changing seems to be moving in the right direction for you. Fingers crossed. Can't wait to see it like, in the print. <laughs> but you, Dave? That's funny. Like alignment is a koan, right? Like it's like it's if you can figure out alignment, you achieve enlightenment. That's excellent. You become a Zen master. Uh, yeah, Tony, I agree. I think um, it goes back to some of the stuff we've talked about previously. Uh, I'll say it's realism versus pragmatism. There's always things that you can add or adjust, but every time you do, if you're adding anything more to the game that can become where it becomes clunky. And that was where third edition went off the rails a little bit. And then three, five and Pathfinder, it became so crunchy and so mechanics and rules heavy that it became this beast that it wasn't, it, it didn't, it didn't sit lightly. Like you guys say with yeah. second two, e it sits lightly, you know, five, E sits so light comparatively to that kind of stuff. <laughs> but I would say I, I, as I've said, I love, what the first look I have at this stat block, I dig it. I want to see how it plays and see if it actually does improve uh, my running of the game. Uh, so I'll have to let you know about that. One thing I would like them to try to do, I've said it before, I would like something like intelligence to matter again, right? Like we have so much on the other stats, so much stuff gets played to strength and decks and con and wisdom and charisma. And, not, and intelligence right. doesn't get anything, you know. I want let's let's make it. Let's make the fighters have to. If they're stupid, then they're going to be paying for it, even with their sword play. You know, I don't know. That might be fun, right? That is that is why I miss the proficiency system, to be honest, because you used to get bonus proficiencies for your intelligence, and you yeah. could then, if you were smarter, you knew more stuff. Like if you yeah. were smarter, you had a proficiency to throw in like siege weapon manufacturing or or weaponsmithing. You could do more stuff in at least the second edition. I agree. Yeah, I agree. It's Actually, one I of the, the things I like. It's one of the things I like from the Pathfinder system too. Uh, that I that I look back fondly on is that your intelligence mattered a lot in your skills in your languages in a lot of stuff that could drastically affect the mechanical play of the game so yeah i would like to see that i i very strongly feel that every stat does not need a defensive check mechanism honestly <laughs> i like seriously i mean you know when i, I just played storm kings another with my group the only time there was a defensive check required for intelligence was when an elder brain went to blast them. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, seriously, we, how often? I mean, you, you go back to just death ray saves and poison saves. No, no, that wasn't perfect either. Wands no. and staves. Wands and staves. <laughs> they, they did. They did. Back in five, four E, for as much as it was checked, you had your will saving throws, 
you had your endurance saving throws yeah. and your agility saving throws, and you could take your higher of your two stats that were tied to that. So yeah, you had a uh, Pathfinder did similar. It had your reflex, fortitude, and will. Uh, yeah, and it was everything was based off of those three. You know what I think would be cool to do there? Open mm-hmm. up saving throws to be something that the character could choose. I like that too. system or something. I like that too. I well, choose not that, to make them. Is that in? That might already be a mechanic out of Tasha's because I know they started to play with the ability score increases. I wonder no. if they're playing with any of the class saving throw stuff. Well, I haven't the looked score increases play with the class saving throws because your saving throws are all ability focused. So I was thinking more like second edition. You had you like we're saying the weird saves, a poison, para- paralyzation, death magic, yeah. <laughs> and they had this weird order of priority. Now, is it a death magic? No. Then is it a poison? No. Then is it a paralyzation? Okay. It's a wand. Ah, you had an order of operations for you for your saving throws but just in that kind of system just being able to kind of pick the i want like a, this bonus here that bonus there that could be interesting and if maybe i have to this. my dear aunt sally my fucking saving throws count me out yeah. <laughs> i don't want to know if i have to do addition or multiplication for <laughs> fuck that no we already do that that's already dnd's already mad it's, it's the dmg what is in here this isn't this isn't the game. This is math. Yeah, but not the order of operations. That's what got me. No, I ran away with that. All right. So for me, I do generally like the kind of direction they're where they're spotting problems and how they're trying to address them. I do like that they're trying to address them. I'm curious to see how they're going to handle Errata as they change a lot of monsters with the with with the monsters of the multiverse. I know there's Errata documents. Are we going to need to check that every time you try to use a monster for an older edition of a book? That's not going to be fun. Throwing that out there. So I worry about that sort of thing. I mean. In Magic the Gathering, where they have a lot of errata, you have to know what the errata text of the card is if you're going to play it. So, like, I've spent, you know, you've got, like, a $60 monster manual sitting on your bookshelf from, like, when it was the first printing. It already has some things that are different, but now are you going to have to know what every monster is supposed to do from that? Are you going to have to buy a new monster manual to, to, to check all this errata? Now, on the other hand, that is, that is a necessary evil of any time you're updating stats and trying to balance your game. I'm just curious how they're going to handle it. Yeah, I would love to see them make errated monsters totally free for you to access in, in the D&D Beyond engine. You know, just open that up. But I don't think they necessarily control that themselves, though. So that might not even be possible. I like simplifying, making the stat blocks easier to use. I like making them easier to read, you know, separating things out so it's easier to recognize how things are different, all good changes. I'm looking forward to the to the campaigns they're going to bring back. I do like the idea that they're going to be releasing a lot of monsters. Even as for me, I really wish as a DM things worked more like I did as a player, and they're moving in the opposite direction. <laughs> so, so, so I'm like, I, I still want to be a player. I don't want to be playing a different game than the players, and we're moving in this direction because that simplifies it for the DMs. And there probably were other solutions you could have implemented that would have, that would have simplified things and kept the game the same. But yeah, I think one thing I would change would be, I guess what I would really like to see is more generic monsters. Monsters that you could just run with just a stat line rather than having to know what each and every ability is. Because that's kind of the way things are set up right now. Now, this is, that sounds like before he did with minions, but minions, I hated the way minions worked. Because they yeah, did the opposite. Yeah. They, they all had attack abilities. They had attacks you had to understand. The difference was you could just kill them with one hit, which to me was lame. Like, but just, you know, simple monsters, a lot more of your monsters could be simple. Like a basic goblin doesn't need a number of actions it can take. It can just have swords and spears in the DM knows how to run swords and spears because everyone knows how to run swords and spears because all your characters use them. You know, I think more simplification that way would do more to simplify running your monsters than just cleaning up the stat block. You know, mm. not it also would let you fit more monsters into the monster manual. And the other thing I want to see is I would love to see even more monsters, which I'm sure they're hoping will fix with Monsters of the Multiverse, 
but I would just like to see more expansions full of monsters. Like, I don't need a book that is half backstory and half monsters. Give me 200 more monsters. Monsters, monster, monsters. That's what I want to see. Your psychology, <laughs> that's your backstory. And I can throw them in the game where I want them. Like, I don't need, I don't need a book that is half, well, here's the relationship between gnomes and, and halflings. Like, I don't need, like, like that's kind of interesting, but, like, I'm looking for books of monsters I could use in my own way. I don't need the, I don't need that particular backstory at the cost of like half the monsters like you could have put in the book. Stats. That's how I see it. Yeah, I don't know if I expected this to turn into that much of a bitch fest about modern Wasi, but we, are we still stuck in our old ways? Are we still the old grognards who want to go back and play second edition? Is that still who the three wise DMs are? Mm, I, I I love five E honestly. I mean, I, if I if I had to teach somebody two E right now, they'd be in for it. I'd be like, sit down. <laughs> the pot of coffee's on. Well, it's real simple. That's, that's an interesting though. challenge. I actually bet you could teach 2E faster than 5E. You'd be wrong. I you tried to do so? I tried to do 2E with someone. I told you this. She, the, It was Chris's girlfriend. She's like, oh, I want to be a wizard. That'd be fun. I'm like, great. This is so easy. Next thing you know, I'm like, I've. she's lost. She's so lost. Let me <laughs> set out a search party. Where the hell did she go? I mean. Again, I say it every time. We we bring so much understanding and assumptions that we don't even question because we're so steeped in a lot of this stuff. So you don't even know the questions that you would ask as a beginner with that. But did you try to teach Chris's girlfriend 5e? 5e was around, but this was the time that we're doing the 2e campaign. So I, I still think because I'm thinking, what do you need to teach to teach 4e? And I know what Dave's saying. I'm sorry, Dave. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, that's OK. But I'm currently teaching 5e. Yeah, teaching for you, get yourself a printer. To people that didn't, to some people that never even saw like Lord of the Rings, you know, so they have no concept of anything. True. But like the difference (laughs) is to me, in 5e, you've got to teach everyone how to use a bunch of unique flowers, other powers. They're all especially unique flowers. What I was trying to get to, you know, <laughs> you, you, they're all different. Every, deep, every class, every class is its own unique snowflake. Like you need to teach everyone how do all these powers work and how do they interact. And there are interactions. There are little things, details you got to know. In second edition, if I'm teaching someone to be a fighter, it's just that's your Thacko. You add the armor class to it or, or subtract the armor class to it. That's the number you have to roll to hit them. Roll that big die. Good. Your axe hits for D8. Roll that die. Good. There we go. We're ready. You can move 30 feet around done i don't need to tell you you don't need to understand what a bonus action is or an action or a reaction none of that stuff's in it you just tell me what you want to do i just tell you what dice to roll and you do it like i think that's easier than the fifth edition teaching Mm, no i i I, you're bringing a lot of you're bringing a lot of already understood things to that and not real yes and not and not realizing that all of those words mean things but they mean different things to you than to someone that does not know what you are talking about. Well, okay, so that might be, but I would argue every word I used is used in both RPGs. The difference is in second edition, I don't need to teach what an individual power does on top of that. Yeah, I, that to me is a difference. Like, I mean, I get your point. That's kind of, it's kind of a point that can be made about anything. I mean, of course we're all carrying a lot into the game, yeah. but I'm trying to step back and look at it. Well, okay, besides what I carry into the game, I need to explain this level with second edition and in fifth edition, you need to explain that level plus this level, which is the individual powers. Mm. So I, I don't well, think I mean, but the problem being is that the numbers just disagree with that though, because Do the they? hobby has, the hobby has grown by, Oh my God, exponential numbers that new people are learning it all the time that never played a single RPG. 
Well, so yeah, people but, are learning it all the time. But prove to me that's because of the rule set and not because of increased population growth and also increased media exposure because we have because we have online now. Not what if you tonight. Out we're of not. Reasons this hobby has grown. Yeah, We've had years of everyone playing role uh, online games and video games that prepared them for fifth edition D and D. Whereas two E is out before video games, so two E is totally breaking new ground. We've talked about how two E has been the inspiration for all those video games they were playing. I don't know. I, I don't think that's it. I don't think you can just look at market numbers and say that's it. I think uh, I think five is dealing with a much more sophisticated player base and can be more sophisticated because of that. Absolutely. That is absolutely why. All, all I'm saying you is it gets correct. real when you start explaining FACO to a player who's never, you know, rolled a 20-20 before. Thank you. And, that, and by the way, that bastard sword has a different speed factor for one and two-handed use. Head explodes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. But there's stuff that you don't need to include either. Was it speed factor? I believe speed factor was an optional rule. Uh, as optional as uh, saving throws, I mean. It no, no, depends. I think speed factor was actually an optional rule. I thought that I thought that was uh, was something you could choose to do, just like the to hit bonus for for different kinds of armor. I thought. As far as I recall, two E was infused with weapon speed factor, dexterity, and weapon plus factored into that. And also, even if I was introducing a new player to 2E, I wouldn't do it in the most basic sense. We've been exposed to all the handbooks. Like, you want to be a fighter? How simple. Here's the fighter's handbook. By the way, this breaks freaking reality itself with its take on two weapon use. I mean, have fun with this. I would definitely introduce the new player with just the basic rules. I think I would open up the player's handbook and make a selection of those things. Always. Um, Given at the same time, though, being a wizard is always more complicated than being a fighter. Like you mentioned, you try to teach how to be a wizard, which also makes things more complicated. I don't know. Is the 2E wizard easier than the 5E wizard? 5E wizard is miles easier. You think so? Miles. Oh, good God, yeah. These different spells have different speed factors. Oh, your head's going to explode. You just can't. I mean, if speed factor is the only thing that makes it complicated, I, it's, 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 it's one rule. Uh, I, I, there was so much involved back in the day doing these things. I mean, even if you're ignoring, you're saying, you know what? Forget about material components. They don't exist. Poof. Don't well, worry also, about it. Also was an optional rule, I'm pretty sure. Like, so I think a lot of that stuff was optional. Because but your were, spell power range. was so finite in 2E compared to now. Mm. Like, you had very, I mean, really, you want to role play some my final thoughts for the evening. You want to play a geriatric character? Be like a low-level wizard in first and second edition, because that's your, you were like grandfather, grandpa <laughs> escapes the retirement home and has an end-of-life crisis, and he wants to go on an adventure, because that's going to feel like your armor class is dog shit, your hit points are even worse, your weapon selection is laughable, and your thaco, you couldn't hit the broadside of a blue well with your staff and you have these spells which were awesome but there's like having a gun with like two bullets in it that makes it easier though you can only cast each spell you can only cast one spell once per day (laughs) and then you hide behind everyone's cowering trying to hold on to your dentures that's what was hard about it Playing it was, I mean, understanding it, I think, I think understanding it was easier. I think playing it, the, the wizard definitely, playing a wizard was more uh, Giving that to a new challenging. character, it's suicide. It's like, just put a vest on yourself. Goblins are coming, hit the button so they don't get you, pull yourself up. I mean, among the better rules, uh, among the better rules in later editions was giving wizards more hit points at first level. I will uh, agree with that. The yeah. fact that the hit point starts out at first, the, the wizard starts out at first level with hit points that is the same die as the smallest weapon die, is uh, uh, is problematic. 
yeah, no, a, a, a second level wizard could be taken out by a house cat. Yeah, that absolutely could have happened. It's got three attacks. The cat gets initiative. Claw, claw, bite. Oh my god, if it don't like my cat, I'm gonna fall over, go to sleep, and die now. I'm done. <laughs> Tap it and out. You're dead, dead because that store was also an and, and I gotta throw this in too. Spell disruption was entirely different. Now it is. I have yeah. one spell up. You can disrupt it. Back in the day, you could disrupt any freaking spell. I'd say at the beginning of the round, I am announcing I am going to try to put sleep on the cat. Nope. The cat beat my initiative. Start scratching your leg. Your spell's disrupted. You're done. The cat's going to eat you for breakfast. You had to be smart to play a second edition wizard. You had to be as smart as the character in order to survive that. So, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun talking about this. We actually see where we go with all this stuff, with, with all the changes they're making. And, of course, we're building up to the what might be a 5.5 or something just shy of a new edition coming up in uh, 2024. I don't know. Personally, I'm kind of rooting for an advanced fifth edition, kind of like there was a, you know, advanced D&D in the beginning. Could we make a more advanced fifth edition? I don't think they're going to, but no, yes, I don't. no it's too successful. But I, what they're building up to is what a lot of this is talking about, which is it's been 50 years since the first edition of that game came out. Oh, D&D. So in 50 years, everything changes. So does D&D, right? Amen. And that's why all things like alignment and all this other stuff is changing mechanical-wise and also culturally. Because it's been 50 years. <laughs> that's older than all of us, right? Like none of us have breathed for 50 years here. That so, is true. There are there are no there there are no fifty year olds among the three wise DMs. Right. So like a lot of stuff changes. So that's just what we're seeing now. You know. So good, bad, and indifferent. Well, I mean, but we've seen plenty of times things change for you know. There's good decisions and bad decisions with every change. Sure. Sure. Yes. You know, so what will this be? What will these decisions be? That's the real question. Will they make good decisions to change in, in the changing of it, or will they make decisions that yeah don't work out so well? <laughs> I've been enjoying my time with Five E though, so. Indeed. I say onwards. And with that, I think it's time we said onwards to our followers. Thank you all who've been listening along to another episode of Three Wise DMs. If you wanted to hear us talk about a specific topic that's close to you, please send it to us at threewisedms at gmail.com or go to our website, threewisedms.com, enter it in the What's Your Problem field. Or you can also talk to us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're very active in all those channels. We'd love to hear from you. If you like what you're hearing, please smash that five-star rating button in the podcast player of your choice. Leave us a positive review. Tell your friends. We really appreciate your help spreading the word. We've been growing by leaps and bounds and that's really that's because of all of you thank you very much that's it for this week we'll see you next time on three wise deals